You can be seated, delighted to have you with us this morning. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of our pastors. I get the call to, to preach the gospel to you this morning. Uh, it was one year ago, nah, this weekend, that we multiplied and became Seven Mile Road, Malden, and Melrose. For a year now, our church has been one church with two Sunday services that are three miles apart, and I have not gotten one speeding ticket on my way over here between services. I've been up on the curb a couple of times, no one noticed. Uh, I don't know how to express how thankful we are in the way that you have followed our lead in this tumultuous and rugged and important year for us, but you've been amazing, and it's a grace of God to us pastors that we don't miss. Uh, what we want to do today is to take some time as we come to this first year circuit of, of doing life this way to talk about where we hope to be headed as Seven Mile Road, Malden, and Melrose. A lot of you guys are with us. Some of you guys are new. You'll get a good taste of who we are through this opening of the text today. Before I get to that stuff, though, our next 10 years, that should say our next 10 years up there. Watch this. Look at uh, I need to preach the gospel to you, and that's because it would be very easy for us to leave the gospel behind now and begin to do the work of church planting with you. Uh, it would be very easy for us to cast vision and talk strategy and work on plans in a way that is far removed from the rhythms of the gospel, and you do not want that, I do not want that, we do not want that, and so two-thirds of my time today will be talking gospel with you before we talk church planting, vision, and strategy, and work. Think of it like this. There's two distinct ways that we can come at talking about our next 10 years together. The first would sound something like this, hear this, become familiar with it. Okay, guys, we have some work to do. And by our smart and hard work, we are going to accomplish something great for God. Do you feel that right there? This is up to us. We've got a vision well, lead well, strategize well, execute well. We have to manipulate the variables with proper methodologies. We've got to push all the right buttons at the right time in the right way, and then this is going to rock, and we're going to have a great church, and good stuff will happen. It's on us. Here we go. Or we can come at it like this. Okay, guys, Jesus has promised to build his church. He promised that he will save sinners through the means of his grace, by the power of his spirit. He said that from every tribe, including greater Boston, many will find him and life in his name. And we believe him. We believe him. 
We believe that he is going to get done what he said he would get done. It's on him. Here he goes. Do you feel the difference between those two? Because it's life and death right there. That second approach is gospel-centered church planting. It's church planting that gets its shape, its energy, its focus, its hope, its zeal, its endurance, not from us, but from God. See, this is how gospel works. We've got to keep discipling you in this. Gospel is this. God promises some things, and we believe that he'll come through. That's the gospel. He promises, and he works. We believe, and we receive. And we would give up anything and bear any cost at all to get to be a part of his gospel work. When God announces gospel to us and invites us to be a part of what he is doing for us, and he tells us that it will cost us everything we've got to go with him, we don't flinch. We don't flinch because by faith we've come to see, to believe that his gospel is matchless, it's priceless, it's incomparable with anything else. In other words, you give me God and his gospel and you can have everything else if I have him. I need our hearts to be in that place together or I wouldn't dare talk with you about where we're going as a church. And so I wanna first work some text with you and give you two different stories that capture two different responses to God announcing gospel so that you can taste with me what it feels like to get this right. That's what I want to do first with you today. Now, normally I'm real methodical in getting to my points, right? Today I got to move a little bit quicker with you. So Mark 10 and the rich young ruler second, Abraham first. If we are going to be a gospel-loving, gospel-shaped people, we need to get the story of Abraham, the way of Abraham, deep down in our souls together. Uh, I could say it like this. If we're going to enjoy Jesus' salvation, Abraham must become our father. By that I mean we need to respond to God and his gospel the way that Abraham did. So let's talk about that. Abraham was an ungodly sinner living in the Middle East, back before there was cell phones and iPads, and he was living out his godless life when out of nowhere, in free and undeserved grace, not because of anything good or noble in Abraham, the living God speaks and drops some breathtaking promises on this man's head. His name at the time was Abram. It would be changed to Abraham. And God says, Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will 
make your name great, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's Genesis 12. Then in Genesis 15, he visits Abraham again and he covenants with him. And God takes full responsibility on himself to do the work for these promises to hold true. And he continues to say things like, your reward shall be very great. Your own son will be your heir after you. Your offspring shall be like the stars of the sky. Do you feel this? God promises to get to work for Abram. I will. I promise good for you. Has Abraham done anything to receive, to, to earn or deserve this grace? Has he done anything to deserve these promises? Has he done anything in himself to receive this kind of blessing from God? Please go like this. No, nothing at all. Are these promises being realized up to Abram being good enough, living right enough, or working hard enough? No, this is why we call it grace, a covenant of grace. This is God saying, here's what I intend to do for you, me, I will. What is it that Abraham does in response to the gospel of God? And Abraham believed the Lord. I love that. Just one simple word, it changes Everything, everything, he believed. God came and gospeled Abraham big time, and Abraham said, okay, I believe that you will do what you said. I believe. We would say it like this. Abraham's response from his soul was, I'm in. If you say so, I'm in. And how does God respond to Abraham's faith? Maybe the most beautiful idea in all of Scripture. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Love that. Faith. This is all that God was looking for. He was not looking for someone who thought that they could earn or they could deserve or they could work their way to his blessing. Not what God is looking for looking for someone who would believe the gospel, receive it with faith, and just go, are you serious? I'm in. Okay, now what kind of flesh does the faith of Abraham take on? What do we call the flesh that faith comes with? That's called obedience. And in faith-driven obedience, Abraham obeys God, he packs up his family, he leaves his entire life behind. You know the story? All of it, done. Everything he had ever known, every comfort, every security, every relationship outside of his immediate family, his father and his mother and his father's good name, his standing in his community, 
Abraham leaves it all behind without a thought. And he does this immediately and gladly. Was this costly to Abraham? Big time. Entering by faith into covenant relationship with God cost Abram everything. And yet, the man gladly and open-handedly, without reserve, says, take it. Why would somebody do that? What would move someone to do that? It's because by faith, Abram believed that the gospel, the promises of God were so glorious, so astounding and wonderful and amazing that they were worth whatever the price. Think of it like this for the sake of understanding our stories today. Abraham's hands are full. This is an accomplished man right here, wealthy, living in Ur. His life, his plans, his reputation, his future earnings potential, his family business, whatever it was, in his hands. But then God comes and he gospels Abraham and he promises Abraham and he invites Abraham into an impossibly glorious, God-drenched, God-filled, God-driven, God-obedient life. I will give you a son, an offspring, and a land. And Abraham gladly lets go of everything else that was in his hands. Whatever he had to let go of to be able to take hold of the promises of God. By faith, he was not going to miss out on the gospel that was announced to him. Okay, this is Abraham. Now let's talk rich, young ruler, and I got to fly. He comes to Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Please tell me that hits you like a ton of bricks right now. Do you hear the different phrasing? What must I do? So Jesus takes him to the Mosaic Law, the older covenant of works. If you're going to work your way to salvation and right standing with God, it would be perfect obedience to the law. And Jesus rattles off some of the big, major, older commandments. And the rich young ruler, this guy says, Jesus, I've worked hard at those. I've obeyed those. I've been serious about doing what's required of me. And then Jesus pauses and he sees the man's earnestness and he sees that he's serious and he sees that, oh, his, his heart might be ready for gospel. And Jesus loves him. And what does Jesus do? He Abrahams this man. He gospels him. In the background of this story, Jesus has been announcing to his gospels, I am the Christ. I am the son of David. He's told them twice already, I am going to bleed and die and rise and deal with Satan and sin and death and usher in the kingdom of God. I will. Eternal life is not going to come by what you guys do, but what I do for you. And then what does Jesus do with this young man? Jesus invites him in as he has invited in the other disciples. Believe 
that who I am and what I have in store for you is glorious and true and necessary and real and better than anything that you have known. Take hold of this by faith. Come on. Let go of everything else to follow me. Here's what you are missing. It's not you and what you do. It's me and what I do. So sell everything that you have. Let go of whatever is in your hands. Everything that points to how self-sufficient and accomplished and wealthy and together you are. Open your hands of everything that you bring to the table, all of it, so that you can take hold of me and my gospel. Does this sound like God's call to Abraham or what? Now, if the rich young ruler gets it, what is his response? It's faith. Give my possessions to the poor and I get you done. Let's go. But the rich young ruler does not see Jesus or his gospel as overwhelmingly valuable, as inexpressibly worthy, as paling his riches and his sufficiency with its brilliance. And so he holds on to his stuff, his life, and he misses out on Jesus and his gospel. And then Peter, as usual, pipes up and he says, see, Lord, we left everything. And what does Jesus say? Yes, Peter. And that's exactly how this gospel works This is how it worked with Abraham. Go ask him, how did Abraham's transaction of faith work out? Abraham leaves his family and he becomes the father of millions. Abraham leaves his earthly city and Hebrew teaches us that he inherits a heavenly city. No one who takes hold of my gospel in faith ever regrets what they left behind. Ever. Peter, when you say yes to my gospel, you are invited into something that is so much bigger than just your house, than just your land, than just your family. You will inherit the earth. Think of that. You will revel in my grace with millions of brothers and sisters and mothers and one father forever. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold in this life. Here you are and in the age to come, eternal life. Okay, Seven Mile Road, this is always the way with God and his gospel. You need to get this rhythm This is how your salvation works. You're living your life and you're lost in sin. And all of a sudden, the Father of all grace shows up and he gospels you. And for no reason of your own, he speaks to you through a messenger. And he says, I love you. I have chosen 
you. I will bless you. I will do the work of reconciling you back to me forever in joy. I send my only begotten son to live for you and die for you and rise for you. I will forgive your sins. I will find you righteous. I adopt you into my family. I give you eternal life. I do. That's the gospel announced to you. And how do you respond? Okay, I'm in. I believe. I receive your grace. I take hold of your promise made to me. You have become my salvation. That's the cry of the new heart. And in that moment, everything changes. Whatever we were holding on to becomes ridiculous and worthless and petty in comparison with holding on to that gospel right there. We gladly leave it all behind and we gain more than we could imagine. Say it like this, the gospel costs us everything and it's totally worth it. Whatever you ask, I will gladly and immediately obey because I have believed. That rhythm right there is not only the rhythm of grace in your salvation and your justification, but we are discipling you to teach you that it needs to become the rhythm of every single thing in your life at the center. The way that you work, the way that you live, the way that you love, the way that you parent, that kind of gospel rhythm needs to be there. And I say it today because I need you to hear that that needs to be the rhythm of the way that we plant Seven Mile Road Church together. It has to be. So here's what I mean. God the Son makes a promise. I will build my church. Sin and death and hell will not prevail. There is a people and they are mine. And I will call them and justify them and sanctify them and glorify them. And I will do it through the preaching of my word and the administering of my sacraments. I will by my spirit, promise. And how do we respond? We're in. We believe that good news. And whatever it costs for us to see a healthy and holy, missional, faithful, fruitful church existing here, we're in. I don't care what it costs. Nothing is gonna keep me from taking hold of those promises and participating in what Jesus intends to do in the life of my church. You cannot hold me back from that. I'm in. It is only if our souls are there that I even dare to keep talking to you for the last 15 minutes. Because anything else that I'm gonna say is simply response to grace and promise and spirit and Christ and gospel. Of course, we plan and we strategize and we break a sweat and we put the means of grace to work, but we do it by faith, believing that if there's going to be any fruit, success, or joy here, Jesus has to get to work. All right, let's pray that through before I keep going.
Father, I pray that you would somehow make a people here who have seen the glory of God in the face of Christ. That would change everything for us. All the ridiculousness that's going on in and around us would just be so paled in comparison to the brilliance of life held out in the sun. And you could actually do something amazing here. Would you cause us to believe your promises about your gospel and your church to be true and to take hold of them by faith and to not be stressed out about our toil and our work, but to just keep receiving and receiving and responding and responding as a gospel-centered people. Do that in the life of your church. Do that with the rest that we have to say. I pray that you would. Amen. Let's keep praying that prayer and begging for it together. Okay, this has been a big year for us. Some very cool things have solidified in the life of our church during this year. The first was that we would be planting an autonomous church up in Wakefield with Pastor Joey and our Wakefield crew. We've been calling you that for about a year. It's a very sad day coming in early September when a third of this place is going to be sent out to plant that church, and also a very joyous day, depending which church you come to that day. (laughs) It's been a delight to see that whole thing progressing beautifully. If you missed their last post, they're about 99% locked in on a space that's going to be perfect right near the lake up in Wakefield. Uh, This is also a very good opportunity to remind you that if you are giving to that work, now's a great time for you to do that. Remember that last year, any giving that we did over and above our tithing to the life of our church was to get this space in play for some of this vision stuff. In this calendar year, that giving is going to seeing Restoration Road started as healthy um, as we can possibly get it. And so we are planting a church We are praying and giving and sending people and pastors and resources to do that. September 1, that happens. Joey and Natalie and 20, 25 of you will be gone fishing for souls in Lake Quantapawe in Wakefield. That's happened this year. Also this year, we have locked in on sending Pastor Kevin and Bridget across the Atlantic to lead a church planning movement, Continental In Africa with Timo, he'll be leading multiple church planning teams doing work among unreached people groups there. That's also a done deal. They actually only have a couple more months with us, so if you're going to tell them you love them, you better get that done in a hurry. And we're thrilled to be sending, and that Seven Mile Road will be influencing the continent of Africa in some little but eternally pronounced ways. So this is the sending that has solidified in the life of our church this year. But we've also been working hard on what's going to happen with those of us who are left behind. And I don't mean that in a Tim Lahanian kind of way. If Joey gets raptured, I'm going with him. I just mean that uh, as we finish up year one of our life together here and prepare for these sendings, the natural question that has emerged is this. So what's next for Seven Mile Road, Malden, and Melrose? And as we've begun to consider potential answers to that immediate question with you, an even bigger question has occurred to us. What would a compelling vision look like 
for the next 10 years. Not just for next year, but going forward for 10. How could our decision about what we do with Malden and Melrose not only cause these congregations to flourish, but also help to spur a broader gospel movement in these cities of greater Boston? So you know that there are three and a half million ungospeled, unchurched souls in greater Boston, and that there's not nearly enough healthy, gospel-centered churches existing to engage and disciple them. And so we've been asking, what if Seven Mile Road was uniquely situated to not only thrive in Malden and in Melrose, but to also play a helpful role in seeing healthy gospel works, doing fruitful work in and around this city that we love? How could we get there best? All right, here's where we're at as we're going forward. So consolidation is not what we're talking about. I know that everybody else that looks at a map says, they're so close, why do you worship in two different places? Okay, they don't get New England, they don't get Massachusetts, it's okay. We've been very careful to pay attention to the health of the life of these two congregations, and certainly in Malden and especially, and here as well, we have seen that these local congregations are getting identities and beginning to thrive in their different contexts. And so pulling them together and flattening them as one is not what we're going to do. Now, you know we're taking this seriously, so we've paid attention to that possibility. That's not where we're leading. Consolidation is out, and so is sharp division. Uh, Not only because it would be wicked complicated to figure out how do you break apart one church and two congregations, and clearly not because we are against the idea of autonomous church planting. We've done it in Philly. We're doing it in Wakefield with Restoration Road. We're getting it done in Wisconsin. But because we think that we can do more and healthier gospel work with Malden and Melrose and then springing forward by keeping them together than by breaking them apart. And so we're pressing not toward consolidation or division, but to what we're phrasing as unified and contextualized. In other words, continuing to do life together in meaningful ways as one church in a way that causes each local congregation to flourish, unified and contextualized. All right, in 10 years, we have never had a vision statement. We've just been kind of like swinging by the seat of our pants year by year. But here's a potential one that we've been working on if we're going to give a, a long time to each other in this. And we want to be talking and praying through this with you this month. So here it is, a potential vision statement. That in the next 10 years, we would see 1,500 Bostonians believing the gospel and being discipled and living on mission in an ever-growing network of healthy seven-mile roads for Jesus' glory and our joy. Okay, vision statements are supposed to be big and bold and beautiful and simple. Can we see this future? So that's what we're trying to do with you together this month. Let's break this down a little bit. 10 years, 1,500 people. So you know that we are not obsessed with head counts and we do not consider success to be uh, bigger necessarily equals better. You know that, right? 
but there's three and a half million people. We're going to be planting autonomous churches. We're going to be planting these congregations. There's a lot of people that can come to Jesus if we work together and allow God by his spirit to come and to move. And so we're not obsessed with the number, but it's good to dream, right? What might Jesus intend to do through who he has pulled together? What would a big and bold and beautiful move of his spirit maybe look like if we give ourselves fully to this for 10 years? Could our dent be 1,500 souls? And not 1,500 observers or 1,500 watchers or 1,500 people checking in to see a show. 1,500 Abrahams. You know what I'm saying? Believing, repenting, loving, serving, growing, living on mission with us. And not 1,500 strong at a single site, but a network of Seven Mile Road congregations, some of them bigger, some of them smaller, all of them healthy. We could see this. We could see fruit here. We could see God glorified in this. And we could see us really glad in this. So that's some vision stuff to say, hey, let's just dream and go. Now let's talk strategy, getting some of this to how would we get there because there's lots of different ways to get there. So we're saying that we want to talk about strategy that says we would get there by becoming a network of, uh, a movement of networked Seven Mile Road congregations who function as one church with many contextualized expressions throughout greater Boston, planting from within primarily and potentially merging churches into this very carefully. All right, let's just talk about a couple of these ideas. So the first is the one church idea. So there would be some elements of our life together that would continue to be shared. Some obvious things like our name and maroon and black are shared Things like finances, payroll, budgeting, human resources, uh, media, the things that could be centralized and have a good competency and are necessary in place to, to keep life moving for the good of the churches. But even more than that, what we mean is that we would come at preaching and music and liturgy and gospel communities and leadership development as a team together. So these things would continue to be worked on together and then contextualized for each congregation. So there would be an executive pastor team that is serving beneath the congregations, helping them to be connected and contextualized and healthy. So in some real ways, we would continue to function as capital S, Seven Mile Road. Then there is the with many contextualized expressions piece. So this is the congregational piece, and this is the heart of this strategy. The congregations don't serve some movement, but a movement like this serves the congregations. So individual congregations would be supported and set free to do their local missional ministry. We really want to raise up preachers and lead pastors so there wouldn't be one man at the top of some giant system, but there would be men leading in each church with their teams for the good of those congregations. That missional engagement and live local preaching and assimilation of new people 
and caring for members and dealing with space and Sunday operations, these congregations would roll the way that they need to roll with the support of the team behind them. So Malden, super healthy and contextualized, still Seven Mile Road. And Melrose, super healthy and contextualized, still Seven Mile Road. And then, if we're going to do all that work, we keep going. Tight geographical focus of greater Boston. I know some of you guys have been sick of me saying just north of Boston for the last like five years. So we'll get rid of that with this strategy and it will become greater Boston. In other words, this would allow us to be helpful wherever Jesus would have us be, planting congregations within a 45-mile, 45-minute drive of this central space right here. So like as far south as Brockton and west as Natick and north as, I don't know, what's up there? New Hampshire or Maine, close up that way. Close enough for lead pastors and their teams to be physically here together and then sent and doing their time at their local places and doing it in a unified way that is also contextualized. You feel that rhythm? That's what we're talking about doing with what's being birthed out of these two congregations. All right, in order for a vision like that to become a reality, a lot of things have to happen. One is that Malden and Melrose have to kill it. There's this interesting balance, right, between becoming too content and being too ambitious. Uh, between saying, we're never going to plant, we're never going to send a church, we're, we're just got to keep worrying about ourselves, to being so ambitious and just sending, 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 and never growing strong ever in a certain place. You feel that tension? So you know, just from this year and the commitment to planting in Wakefield, that we're never going to be the not ambitious enough church. And yet this 10-year vision means for these first two or three years, we've got to figure this out and grow strong and healthy in these first two congregations. We've got to be meeting people in Malden and in Melrose. We've got to be building strong gospel communities. We have to be believing the gospel. We have to figure this out here before we can even pretend that we can multiply it healthy somewhere else. It's going to be a real big challenge for us as we plant Joey and Wakefield. So there's 20 people right now who are going to be doing all of this with him up there these seats will be empty and we're going to feel like a church plant all over again in this congregation. Can't wait to give ourselves to that work, but there will be a focus on local Melrose and local Malden for a few years and the echo effect will be the rest of this vision coming to be. So we need to focus here in order for this future to become a reality. We need some pastors to commit themselves to this for the long term. Now, I know this has not been the norm in the life of our church, right? I counted this up. Out of the 15 men who have run through our pastor track the first three times that we did it, 11 of them are not going to be around Seven Mile Road as of September 1st. That only leaves four. All right, the good news is that those four men are committed to staying, that our remaining pastors, that's Pastor Justin and Pastor Matt and myself and Pastor Dan, and our families are committed to giving 
the next 10 years of our lives to you guys, to Seven Mile Road, and to this vision, and not uh, being sent out of here, but going deep here together. Uh, this got ratified at Hugh O'Neill's after about three and a half hours of talking through these things. Finally, one of us just said, look, I'm tired, I'm in. If it's 10 years, I'm in. And then the rest of us cut our hands and we bled together and we made this pact and the waitress was like, what are these guys doing in this corner? I want you to hear this. You know we're not playing. You know we love sending. We love shaping and sending. That will never stop being a part of who we are. But for this vision to look beyond just a year or two and to 10, you need some pastors who say, I'm with you. If you want to do this with us, we're with you. Of course, this vision is going to require way more than four guys and their families committing themselves. We're going to need those who are left behind, those who are remaining in Malden and Melrose to say, we're in. We need people committed to going long-term with us in these locations for the good of this vision. And we need equipped saints doing the work of ministry like you've never done it before if we're going to get there. And of course, as a congregation, we will need to give better than we ever have to get this foundation in place for what we feel God may intend to do through us. So it's a big ask of our members to say, be in, run with us, stay with us, give with us, serve with us, so that this Malden Melrose thing can blossom to greater Boston. In other words, what? All of this thing is going to, all of this stuff is going to cost us big time. Commitment like this costs. Saying, I'm in, long haul, costs. Forgiving each other's sin in the process, costs. Sacrificing the green grass on the other side, costs. Giving generously, costs. Working hard, costs. How is it that a gospel people respond to the cost? This is why I started where I did. If the gospel has our hearts, we're in. Whatever it costs, I'll leave anything behind if I get to be a part of the grace of God and the gospel of God and the promise of God and the mission of God, I'm in. For some of you, that in has meant I'm going to Wakefield, starting from scratch with Joey, we're planting a church with all of our hearts to the glory of God. Whatever it costs, we're in. For the rest of you, we need you saying, whatever it costs to see Seven Mile Road healthy and holy. Are you kidding? Jesus has made these promises. He's inviting us into this kind of a work. My soul gets to get caught up in this. Dude, I'm in. I'm in. Whatever it costs, I'm in. I want to do this from gospel. I don't want to pressure you. I don't want to sit with you and sell you. I don't want to convince you that we've got this all figured out. And if you just run with some of us super pastors, this is going to work. No. We're a mess. You're a mess. But Jesus is something else. And he graces us and gospels us and promises us and invites us. And we go, I believe. Amen. This month, we're inviting you to be prayerful with us about that. And then come September, Wakefield takes off, and we take off to the glory of God. In 10 years, we'll have a cookout with these guys and be like, man, 
Look at what Jesus did through us. All right, let's pray this thing together. Father, you're good. This is crazy talk that you justify the ungodly. This is crazy talk that you show up to wretched, ridiculous sinners who have rebelled against you and you say, grace, cross, forgiveness, it's yours. That you're just looking for people who will say, empty-handed, I believe I'm in. I pray that you would stir Joey's heart and the heart of Restoration Road to believe the gospel in these months leading up to planting this church, that you would bless them in the kind of ways we read about, a hundredfold, that their delight would be in witnessing the work of God happening in them. Come and do this. I pray that you would do the same with Seven Mile Road Melrose, that you would work on our hearts to believe the gospel, to go, are you serious? You are inviting us into building your church for your glory and our joy wherein, whatever it costs. Father, please don't let this place sound like the rich young ruler. What must we do to plan a good church? Make it sound like Abraham, Father. We're in. We believe. There's our righteousness. There's our hope. There's our fire. Thank you for grace. Let us revel in it, I pray. Amen.